um, I just want to share a few thoughts um, with you, um, reading from Exodus um, chapter 17, and uh, it's a stage in the Israelite journey um, when they had been freed, um, indeed from the bondage in Egypt, and they had crossed the Red Sea, and in Exodus chapter 17 we find them at that stage um, on their journey uh, between um, their uh, salvation, as, as it were, from uh, Egypt and their receiving of the law, even at Mount Sinai and a few chapters uh, later. So they're in that kind of uh, in-between in between land. And we read a couple of incidents um, here in Exodus chapter 17. So let's just read uh, just the entire chapter together um, from the word of the Lord. And it says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin, after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Moses, go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river, and take it in thy hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come out of there shall come water out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And then verse 8 um, recounts another incident that happened around this time in this area uh, called Rephidim, um, where this water had been um, uh, miraculously given even to the people of Israel. And verse 8 reads, and Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim, and Moses said unto Joshua, choose, out, choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the years of Joshua, for I will utterly put out, of, put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And we'll just end there. And the chapter here that we've read together, it records um, two famous incidents that occurred um, after the Israelites had left Egypt, as we said, they crossed the Red Sea um, before they had reached even that place of Sinai where they received even the law um, from the hand of God. But it's the second one of these uh, little incidents that I want to briefly comment upon, really from verse 8 um, to the end of the chapter. 
And in verse 8, we read about that, that attack of Amalek. Now, Amalek was the father of the Amalekites. Um, these were the descendants um, of Esau. Um, one of uh, Esau's descendants became uh, this uh, tribe and this uh, 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 really, they became the perennial enemies of Israel. They had many battles and uh, with with Israel over over a long number of years. But this is one of the battles recorded here that they had with them. Just as they became a nation, Israel became a fledgling nation coming out of Egypt even at that time. And that, that spoke to me. Um, the attacks on God's people, um, they can be unexpected really and unprovoked. And any weakness um, that's present can be exploited and as a point of attack. And these people were filling, following um, at this stage uh, the pillar of uh, fire and the, um, the cloud. Um, so they were in God's will. They were in the place that God had been leading them to. Um, they hadn't uh, gone off peace here at all. They were actually where God wanted them to be. They had been following God's will um, for them at this time. And yet they find themselves um, very quickly in this place of difficulty um, first um, experiencing thirst and then of course in this situation of experiencing then an attack um, that has come to them. Now the passage in Exodus 17 doesn't really describe the nature of the attack um, but we're reading Deuteronomy uh, in chapter 25. It gives a little insight into this attack and actually was a very despicable um, thing that the Amalekites um, enacted upon the, the nation of Israel. It says in Deuteronomy 25 Verses 17 and 18, it says, Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when you were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou was faint and weary, and he feared not God. So here we have Amalek. He's attacking the Israelite people. He's attacking um, the ones at the back, the weak, um, the elderly, the children, um, after the goods, looking for the spoil even of this nation that would have followed with these people towards the back. So it wasn't a full frontal attack. It was This was an attack um, coming um, even from, uh, as Satan does even with the church, coming from behind, coming attacking the weakest people, coming um, sideways at Israel. They weren't going to confront them head on, but they were going to pick off uh, people here, there, and everywhere just as they saw weakness um, even in these people. So uh, Deuteronomy describes what this attack of Amalek was like, and that records even outside the Bible, um, even uh, describe even more depraved desecration of these people uh, than that, which I'll not uh, share tonight, but uh, it was horrible what they did um, even to these people, um, if we believe those accounts even from uh, outside the Bible, um, from some of the Jewish writers. And uh, it's... Uh, those things um, which cause weakness in the body, I suppose, really, um, that come to mind when we think about this. We think about factions, we think about divisions, we think about competition, we think about pride, jealousy, many other things that can creep in, even to a church fellowship. Those are things that create weakness, create factions, create um, divisions, even within a fellowship. And that creates weakness, and that creates a door wide uh, wide open um, that Satan can come in and attack and destroy fellowship and destroy the work um, even of a fellowship. Um, that uh, nation Amalek just describes that um, attack of Satan that comes at the people from behind attacking the weak, attacking um, even at the most vulnerable places. Um, so that spoke to me really of a need for unity, a need for self-care. Um, perhaps this was a very large nation. Moses uh, was one man on his own. He had a lot of people to look after. And there's maybe a certain level of understanding. Even in the later chapter, we see his father-in-law giving wise advice, um, even on how to manage 
and cope with such a large number of people. Um, and perhaps we can understand that. He was trying to look after all these people on his own, and it was understandable that attacks could easily come because there would be people neglected, people um, not getting the care and uh, been looked after the way they should, should have been. So that's an understandable situation to find um, the, uh, this nation in. But while this attack was unknown to Israel, it was unprovoked. Um, they hadn't done anything to annoy these particular people. In fact, they were family in many ways, if you go back a few generations to Esau. So it was an attack really sometimes, you could even say, by their own family. Now, outside the nation of um, Israel, but um, these were people known to them. But while it was unknown um, even to Israel, it was an attack that was foreknown by God. He would have seen this attack coming. He would have known this was happening, and he could have steered them away from it. He could have protected them from it, but he didn't. And perhaps um, we might say, even if they hadn't have grumbled, even if they hadn't have delayed in this area of Rephidim um, with the thirst, perhaps this attack might never have come. Um, so we don't know the consequences of our actions and how things work out um, for our good and our benefit in these things. But God had delivered them from an army before. He had uh, destroyed the army of uh, Pharaoh as they'd come out of Egypt. He had uh, drowned them in the sea. But he doesn't always act the same way. God um, didn't choose that way to deal with this army that had attacked his people at this particular time. God is changeless in his character, but how he deals with us um, does change and uh, the way that he uh, uh, deals with our difficulties and our problems and how he leads and guides us is never the same. Um, this was a different way that he was going to deal with this attack and this uh, threat even to the nation of Israel. Um, he did drown the, the Egyptian army, but here he was going to deal with them uh, in a slightly different way. But there are um, several people mentioned in this story, um, characters, well-known characters. Um, obviously, we know Moses, we know Joshua very well, and we know Aaron. And uh, her would be a less um, well-trodden character, perhaps a little bit more obscure, a little bit more really on the sidelines. And it's to this little character I want to have a wee look at tonight and just notice, mention one or two things um, about him. Um, not to confuse genders tonight um, in any shape or form, but this is a man who's called her, which is maybe a little bit <laughs> unusual. Identity is a very real issue. Um, it affects many people nowadays. It affects churches. It affects um, Christian families even. And uh, we're perhaps even naive to think that such a thing could even come to the Grange. Um, I... Uh, work with a couple of girls who go to uh, live in Derry and uh, apparently there was a college in Derry, Thornhill College and some people said that this was um, uh, fake news but apparently they assured me that it wasn't fake news but there actually were uh, girls that go to this college in Thornhill who decided that they would identify themselves as cats and they were in the, uh, the college and they complained to the teacher that the teacher hadn't said that not only when they were answering questions that they should put up their hand but they should also put up their paws so that was quite an unusual um, thing that children are facing nowadays they wanted cat litter trays put into the, the bathrooms because they didn't want to use toilets so identity is a very real uh, difficulty a very real threat um, to these people and uh, as we would rightly say it would be better if a millstone had been hung around somebody's neck than to lead some of these little um, little ones um, astray in these things um, but I digress, um, back to her, I suppose, really. Um, firstly, I want to look at her's position. Um, her, he didn't possess a high position, really, um, in Scripture. He's mentioned very, very little. There's one or two other hers in the Bible, but this particular man is only mentioned on a few occasions. And we all know Moses. 
Um, he's well attested in scripture. There's lots of information about Moses. He led the people from bondage. He was the leader of the people, um, well known. Aaron was a high priest. He was a very well known um, individual, a man of high uh, esteem and high uh, position. Joshua was a great military leader um, who would come really to the fore a little bit later on in scripture, um, but a well known character. Um, but her is a little bit uh, less known about him. But what is known about him is very enlightening and uh, also very challenging. Some would say that uh, her is actually Moses' brother-in-law. That is, he married to Moses' big sister, uh, Miriam. Um, but So he has a good, a good heritage, I suppose, being involved in that family and was also the grandfather of Bezalel. Um, he was the one who crafted um, the Ark of the Covenant and was involved in building, um, even as the master craftsman, I suppose, at the temple at that time. And he's also called the father of Bethlehem. Um, was one of his children were those uh, one of those who established um, that city, but after the golden calf incident, really her is not mentioned. In fact, there's a tradition that says that her um, standing up against the idolatry um, at that time um, actually lost his life um, at that stage, and that's why he becomes absent even from the pages of scripture from then on. Um, I don't know whether that's true or not. Scripture doesn't speak to it, but that's. Um, obviously some tradition from Jewish writers outside of it. But her position, um, first of all, wasn't a particularly uh, necessarily high position. It wasn't a recognized position. Um, but then also we have her's place. Um, he didn't have a named position, but he took his place. We see within this chapter, um, when it came to it, um, he took his place where he should have been. Uh, Pastor Omrod used to always use an expression. I thought it was a little strange um, whenever I heard it at the beginning, they used to announce regarding the prayer meeting, they says, for us to be right in our place. And I always thought that was an unusual um, kind of expression, but I came to appreciate it very much. And uh, this was something um, that when you're needed to be somewhere, you're there. You're not absent from where you need to be. And this is where her was. Her was found right in this place. Um, he wasn't found absent. He wasn't found wanting. He wasn't found um, neglectful um, of being in the correct place. So that's a good character trait. Um, defined in her. He was, um, as Pastor Ronald Rodham said, um, he was right. He was found right in his place. And while we are thankful um, that God is present, um, even with the twos and the threes, um, if Christendom at large, really, this is a passage that speaks very much about prayer, and if Christendom at large um, really believed in the power of prayer, really the prayer meeting should be one of the biggest places, one of the biggest meetings, even within the fellowship. And uh, that is everybody being in their place. We're all soldiers in the Lord's army, and this is the place where um, the battle is won and the battle is lost. Um, so this uh, would be uh, the largest gathering. Everybody would be in their place. Everybody would be here um, at, the, at the prayer meeting. And we'd also say that um, that goes um, around the country, the whole uh, land, all the Christians in the land, if they were all present in the prayer meeting, we just wonder what would be accomplished, what could be done. Um, of the fervent prayers um, of God's people, um, really the opportunity was taken in prayer. Each and every opportunity was taken in prayer, even how much could be accomplished um, that is not even within the land that we live in at this particular time. So we have her's position, we have her's place, but we also have her's part. And um, I wonder how the battle would have gone, thinking along those lines of her had been absent. He wasn't absent, he was found in his place, but he could have been in his place. Um, but not played his part. And 
We wonder what would have happened if that had been the case. If he'd been there and he stood beside Moses and he hadn't actually done anything, if he hadn't involved himself, if he hadn't um, uh, done what he had to do to help Moses and the task that he had to do, what, what would have happened? Would the battle have lasted a lot more days? Um, they defeated these people uh, in a single day. If Hur hadn't have been doing his part, um, would the battle have lasted much longer? Would there be more casualties? Would have more Israelite people have passed away um, even in the heat of the battle? Um, could the battle even have been lost if Hur hadn't been involved in doing um, his part? He may have been present, but he had to do his part as well in order for this uh, victory to be won. Perhaps the nation could even have been destroyed. I'm not sure that that's a possibility because Hur did play his part and God is faithful to um, his, his people. Uh, but great doors do turn in small hinges and Hur, if he hadn't played his part, um, we don't know why this would have panned out. This battle could have been entirely different. He didn't have a prominent role, perhaps, uh, but if he hadn't been there, I wonder what the impact would have been. How would this fellowship fare um, if each of us didn't play our part within it? Um, how, uh, how, would that, how would that pan out? Um, would the burden be heavier for certain people? Um, would the victory be harder or perhaps even impossible? Um, would the casualties be higher? Would the battle be fiercer? Would progress even be slower um, if each didn't play their particular part? Well, her is a great example here because he um, does play his part. He is there, he's present, and he's doing his bit um, even to see uh, the battle won. It seems apt, even at that scene, I thought of this when I was reading about this scene um, of Moses and Aaron and her up the mountain. And it says um, in the Song of Solomon, two is better than one and a threefold cord isn't easily broken. And that to me just was a, a lovely little picture that we could see of these three men on the top of the hill. Um, and that threefold cord wasn't easily broken and they did prevail, uh, praise the Lord, even in that battle. So we had her's uh, position, we had her's place, we had her's part but also her persistence. Um, he worked all day, and as if it, the battle depended on him, and it did, in a very real sense. Um, Ali always talks about teamwork, and that's absolutely right. Um, if one player doesn't play their part or doesn't play it well, um, the battle does depend on us all. Um, he would have been tired. He would have worked through, um, just as Moses was working um, in the heat of the day um, to pray, uh, her would have been involved in that too, and he would have been tired. He would have known fatigue, Moses had already caved in because of the burden um, that he was carrying and he couldn't have done it without help. None of us can do it without help. We're all the same. We're all built with the same material and her was faithful. Um, he was one who was able to complete the task that God had given him even to be and um, even to do. So to play our part and to be in our place is one thing, but we also need to persist. We need to keep at it um, in, order to, in order for the task and the purpose to be accomplished. Her uh, he participated in it and he enjoyed the victory that did come because he endured even in the task that he was called to be involved in. God has a work for us even and a victory for us to enjoy and it will be only accomplished if we use our gifts. Even if it happens to be in the slightly more in the shadows like her, if that happens to be God's will for our life, um, that um, will be a victory that we can enjoy if we play our part for his glory. But with her persistence, we also see her priority here. Regarding, regardless of our theology, really the Bible teaches that prayer is typified in this scene as the holding up of the hands in the passage indicates it's vital. In fact, it's a life and death struggle. And it really is. Um, that's what prayer is. It's a life and death struggle. And these people engaged in it 
like it was a matter of life and death. And it literally was. Um, if they weren't prevailing in prayer, people were dying and perishing. So it was a life and death struggle. It reminded me of um, the passage in 1 Samuel where uh, the uh, Israelites again go to battle against the Philistines. And it says in 1 Samuel 7 and verse 8, The children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. Here we see another situation where um, prayer is paramount uh, in the work um, that the Israelites were involved in, that battle they were involved in, and this um, that uh, Moses and Aaron and her involved in is very, very similar. They were praying um, for victory even within the battle. The battle was won by prayer. It wasn't won by the sword. Um, the sword had to be there, but it wasn't won by the sword. It was won by Moses and Aaron and her, and it was won through the means that God had ordained, um, even that means of prayer. So we ought, to, we ought to pray as we work, and we ought to work as we pray. Spurgeon says that prayer is a downright mockery if it doesn't lead us into the practical use of means likely to promote the ends for which we pray. So basically, I suppose the upshot of that is very often what Spurgeon is saying there, very often is we are the answer even to our own prayers. If we are burdened in our hearts for something, if we pray for it, then very often God has placed it in our hearts for us to be involved in the means to even get uh, to achieve that end, for us to be working and us to be active. Both these examples in Exodus 17 are examples of how God's power and man's effort work together. Moses struck the rock, but only God could bring the water out. And Joshua fought uh, the battle. Moses and Aaron and her prayed, but only God could give the victory over Amalek in that circumstance. And crucially, uh, God also received the glory um, for that battle. We read in verse 15 of that chapter that we read together. And Moses built an altar, and he called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. And this means, uh, in the language that it's written in, this means the Lord, my banner. It wasn't uh, Israel is my banner, it wasn't uh, Moses is my banner or Joshua is my banner, but rather it was Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. I was wondering what to speak about tonight and uh, I was chatting to Jackie about it and she says you should preach, speak on uh, the 12th of July on his banner over me as love. And I was looking at this little passage and didn't realise when we get to the end of it that they did talk about banners. Um, so it was a little confirmation to me even about this particular passage um, tonight. But uh, Moses did build this altar and they called it Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. And a day like today, the 12th of July, um, there are many people march under banners, um, ornate banners all around their whole countryside. Um, but Moses here, he holds up a simple rod the rod of God, like a banner, and he proclaims Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. Rally to this name. This is the cause um, that you should rally to. Now, that's nothing to say uh, anything against celebrating your heritage, um, but this was a declaration um, of allegiance, a recognition of God's greatness, um, that his banner uh, was over these people. Um, they recognized God's greatness, and the Israelites fought for the Lord, and they fought even in his name. It's a reminder to us that we battle not for ourselves. We don't battle, we don't have a name for ourselves. We carry the Lord's name. And as a little chorus reminds us, we're in the Lord's army and we carry that name no matter what our occupation, no matter what we're involved in, um, we carry his name with us. We are under his banner. So we're involved in a battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we're also in a battle for men and women's souls uh, as a fellowship. And it's won or lost in prayer. 
Um, we see that from this passage. It's one or lost in taking our place. It's one or lost in playing our part. And it's one or lost through the power of the Lord who is our banner and who has given us this means of prayer, um, even in the battle. So this is a, a lovely, I thought it was a lovely little story of how the Israelites with the strength and uh, through the means that God had given to them of prayer worked together to overcome a very formidable enemy. Um, these were people who were not battle hardened. They came from uh, as, as a background of being in servitude and, and slaves. And this was a warring nation that came against them. And yet, um, even using the means um, that God had given to them, they were able to overcome a really formidable enemy. So I hope this little example um, that set out uh, as her, uh, this little character recorded in scripture will be an encouragement to you, uh, not only to uh, be present in the place of prayer, uh, but also to be active to, and to be persistent in the place of prayer, to pray as a matter of life and death, because it is a matter of life and death. Souls are perishing, people are passing into eternity, and for uh, good or bad, um, we needed to get the gospel even to these individuals and to these people in order that they might um, have a glimpse even of the Saviour. So in order to see the priority of prayer, to understand even that the battle would be lost even without that matter of prayer. Uh, so that to that end, um, as we come to pray, this is the purpose of meeting together tonight, to have a little look in God's word and also to come to prayer. I'll leave one or two prayer points before you. 